This is episode 66. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Hazards. Hey, my apologies for the long absence. Sometimes things just get in the way of this little podcast show that we have here. Nevertheless, I'm back and I hope you have been well. Hey, this time around, we sit down with a seasoned communications professional, our new Cal OES Deputy Director of Communications, Brian Ferguson. The work that is needed here is more important now than it's ever been before. Why is that? Well, he'll explain his rationale behind that statement. Brian is well entrenched in the Capitol here in Sacramento, having worked for both Governor Brown and Governor Newsom. He says the latter has put disaster planning and response as a priority. This is not about cameras. It's not about media. It is really is that he sees himself as a symbol of the state's efforts on this. And for him to be at these emergencies immediately, that's something that, that, that he holds true, whether it be in LA or it be in a small town of 15 people. He would still be there even if there wasn't a single camera because he believes it's the right thing to do. Now, Brian is no stranger to Cal OES, but this time, life between eight and five will be much different. Recent disasters have crystallized his focus and re-energized his leadership. This is as real as it gets, and the state needs to be there for folks when the time when the time comes. And um, you know that hit home for me as we're we're talking about people's livelihoods and their homes and getting them out. All that and much more right now. All right. So with me today for All Hazards, the All Hazards podcast is a new guy, kind of new here to Cal OES, but uh, certainly not new to this world. I'm talking about Brian Ferguson. He is our new Deputy Director of Crisis Communications and Media Relations. Brian, welcome to the studio. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. So you and our your predecessor, Kelly Houston, had a lot of interaction. Um, now you're sitting in his chair, almost literally right now. Quite often he would sit right there. Tell me what it's like to come from your prior job, and I'll let you describe, to this current position and what you were thinking when you made that transition. Well, first and foremost, really a pleasure to be here and you know, talk to talk to you and all the great folks who work here at Cal OES. Um, as you mentioned, Kelly Houston was a good friend and colleague, and um, really want to thank him for all the fantastic work he's done to set us up on a, a great path here at OES as we communicate with um, folks across the spectrum about crises and emergencies that happen in state government um, and across our state. Uh, I, I came here after working for three years in the governor's office for Governor Brown and then for Governor Newsom, and you know it really got a chance there to see the importance of the work that happens here at Cal OES and um, just the quality of each and every person who you know, works here and their commitment to the people of California. And that's something that really rang true to me. And it's, you know, just a great opportunity to be here. And I, you know, look forward to, to doing this work and serving the people of California. A little bit different from the governor's office, isn't it? Though? It is. You yeah. know, before, before I worked here, I had about 80 departments on a given day who I had to make sure, you know, were dealing with their media relations, their communication. Um, so coming here allows you to kind of specialize a little bit more and really get deeper into the content matter. And, and there's no lack of important work that needs to be done. And, you know, and really at this time, it, it's such a, you know, it, it's changed in the past several years, the both in the volume and 
you know, the, the veracity of the work mm-hmm. that we have to do here at Kyle OES and, you know, seemed like an important time here. And, you know, there's no more direct line of public service than what happens at Cal OES. Right. I think there's something really special about what Cal OES does. Um, I'm, it, it really does give you the opportunity to, and I hate to use the term, but it is apropos, and that is the boots on the ground. You do get a chance to get on the front lines of things that impact people in a negative way, and you get to turn that around directly. And I, and I think there's something really special about that. Um, and as part of a, you know the communications team, uh, our job is not only to assist them during emergencies, but also before and after. There's a lot going on, uh, preparing for, responding to, and recovering from uh, these disasters. That's Cal OES's mission. Uh, is there something that you had in mind when you came over here uh, to either focus on or or maybe make a priority, uh, or have you even had a chance to even get that far yet? You know, I think a priority is I'm a dad with two eyes and two ears who can see that the world around us is changing. Um, the environment that we find ourselves in with climate change and politics and all the things that are happening The work that is needed here is more important now than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the approach of why I'm here and why I think it's important. Um, You know, it's literally people's lives that we're we're dealing with here. And, um, you know, this is when I saw this position came open, it was too important for to let someone else do. It was a priority of mine to ensure that the people had you know, the greatest degree of success possible and that we have a ability to, to help folks. Um, and that's only going to change and the, that's going to heighten in the years to come. And, you know, I think we're building some some great work here. And I think that the idea is that it's not backwards looking, it's forward looking on how we can build a department here that's really at the service of the people of California. We're ready for the challenges that we face, whether they be wildfires, earthquake, floods, cyber attacks, terrorism. Um, it's not fun to think about, but, you know, I think being prepared is just so critical. And, you know, that approach of um, forward looking and really leaning into how we're ready. Before you came into this office, you obviously had a lot of interaction with this department, with this uh, agency. Uh, what memories do you have right now? What stands out in the forefront of your memory banks about something that impacted you with regard to a disaster. Is there something that stands out like, oh man, I've... Yeah, you know, I, I remember coming here during the, the fire siege in the North Bay two years ago um, and being embedded here for four or five days straight. And, um, you know, I'd always I'd always known about the work the department has done and um, it had something that had been in my portfolio for a number of years, but it really hit me when we're seeing the photos, we're getting the phone calls, we're here hearing in real time, um, of people trapped and the needs that were out there and just the size and scope of this disaster, which is unlike anything we'd seen in the state up to that point. And, um, you know, the, the way the director was handling that and directing resources where they needed to go, where Kelly was dealing with the public information, um, in really the round the clock nature of the problems that were happening there, that this is, this is real. Um, and you know, it's, something that needs to be dealt with. And this is a very serious thing. There's a lot of people who think it's fun, the crises, to play with fire trucks and helicopters. But, um, you know, this is as real as it gets. And the state needs to be there for folks when the time 
when the time mm-hmm. comes. And, um, you know, that hit home for me as we're, we're talking about people's livelihoods and their homes and getting them out. Um, and just the stories that came out of that really, I think, changed up not just my approach, but the way the governor's office approaches emergencies of this is uh, uh, this is the new normal, as mm-hmm. Governor Brown used to say, and uh, we're going to continue to have to deal with that, and we're going to need to change our approach to ensure that we're ready and that we um, can help people. So with regard to uh, Governor Newsom's uh, approach to OES, I noticed that he was very, very um, involved, if you will, from the very beginning, his very first meeting once he was sworn in came here to Cal OES. His that first, sent a message, I think. I think it sent a, a clear message. I mean, his first full day in office, the governor came here at 8 a.m. He was actually an hour early because he was so excited. You know, obviously there's there's energy after you're sworn in, you're in office, but, you know, he was here an hour early and was just talking to the staff and, you know, learning about the, the work that OES does. So to go up to Colfax on his first full day in office, I think set a tone. He signed a couple executive orders. This is something that's really, um, that he's passionate about and cares about, not just from, you know, a, a political lens, which I think if, if you're, um, certainly a lot's been written about how, whether you manage disasters can imperil your political fortunes, but, um, you know, because he, he's seen firsthand what this means to people. Um, the day after he won the election or shortly thereafter, he had the shooting down in Thousand Oaks and he had the campfire. Um, I think it hit home for him that the, the party was over and that really managing disasters and helping Californians in their darkest hour was going to be something that um, he was going to have to deal with for the next four to eight years and something that he uh, has made a priority. You know, having been there, I've, I've heard him say, we have to get this right. This is too important not to get it done. Um, and that's something that I think is carried through in his governing of, you know, as soon as there's a disaster, he wants to, to be there. He wants to be seen. He wants to help people. He wants to bring um, solace to those who need it and support um, where it's needed and to bring the, all the resources of the state to bear um, to assist those who, who, who need it during times of crisis. And I can attest to that. Uh, I flew uh, to um, the Ridgecrest earthquake area, um, basically the day after the second big one hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a little surprised. I was glad to see it, but I was surprised to see uh, a governor making a trip to a, a, a town that had been hit hard. And for them, it was devastating. And, it, and it, the recovery will continue. But it wasn't... A Thomas fire. It wasn't, you know, where there was massive devastation and lives lost. So for me to see that, I, I thought that said a lot about him, that he really wanted to be there. And, and it, for him, it, it's, this is not about cameras. It's not about media. It, it really is that he sees himself as a symbol of the state's efforts on this. And for him to be at these emergencies immediately um, and to be talking to the first responders, asking them what they need, offering support. Um, that's something that, that, that he holds true, whether it be in LA, our biggest you know metropolitan area, or it be in a small town of 15 people, mm. he would still be there even if there wasn't a single camera because he believes it's the right thing to do. Coming up in the later parts of this podcast, Brian's approach to starting a new role in a new agency. He's learned to be okay with not knowing some things. I want to be open-minded about what I don't know, and sometimes that can open up new pathways to success. Plus, the state of communications between PIOs, that is public information officers, and the media, and dealing with an often obscured media legitimacy. You know, unfortunately, we've seen the press corps shrink even just in the last few years, and 
It's probably going to continue to go that way. So just how do you get your agency's message out and trust that it won't be spun against you? We continue with our conversation with new Cal OES Deputy Director Brian Ferguson. So you have yet to dip your toes into the disaster water uh, since coming here to Cal OES. You know that's looming right on the horizon. At some point, it's going to come up and you're going to have to take a swim. Uh, always ready. And, you know, I, that's the thing is uh, there's so many folks here who have put in the hard work that I, I know will be ready. And, you know, I think I bring a unique unique approach to this and a different vision that there's a lot of things we do really well and we're going to keep doing those things well. We're going to find some little things we can do to nibble around the edges and improve on it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the world of information is changing and the, the access to 24-hour news cycle, the social media, um, you know, we, we need to develop the way we approach and, and Cal OES has actually been on the cutting edge of how this how state departments look at this. Um, and I think we'll continue to evolve and adapt and you know, there'll be long hours and there'll be, there'll be tough days, but we're going to be there and we're going to be bringing people the information they need to, to rebuild their homes and be safe. The nice thing about what Cal OES does, yes, we're involved in all the different mediums that it takes to get the messages out, but that's the one thing that you can do with us is trust the information that we're giving you. We're not the for-profit media. We and our sole job is to keep you safe and informed. So I'm going to take this opportunity that if you're listening and you live in California, you know that you can trust the information that Cal OES is giving you. Absolutely. Looking at these disasters, and you talked a little bit about uh, what kind of an impact they, they've had on you. Uh, and professionally, have you experienced a disaster yourself that forced you to maybe think twice about how you do things or... Or even a family member has a disaster here in California affected you in some way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the Sonoma and North Bay fires a couple of years ago hit hit close to home. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Sonoma State University, and um, I have very explicit memories of um, there being a fire on the mountain above campus when I was a, a junior or senior in college, and the campus being evacuated. Small fire ended up being just a few hundred acres, but just that fear that. Um, concern, the not knowing what to do and seeing it bear down on you. And then 15 years later, watching as those same hillsides were burning into communities, into homes, um, you know, the the Starbucks that I worked at in college to, to help pay for my tuition burned during the Tubbs fire. Mm. Um, and I have a lot of friends and relatives in the, in the area who were displaced. So, you know, that for a variety of reasons, that, that one hit close to home for me. And um, but I also saw how the community came together. Um, it's impressive. You know, yeah. People band together. They support each yeah. other. They, you see the best of what's happening in humanity during these um, emergencies. And, um, you know, that had a, a very strong impact on me and the importance of this work that we do. Yeah, for sure. How did you decide that you wanted to get into the world of politics and government? Like a lot of people, I think it was on accident. You know, there's so many people across state government who do what we do, who do this communication work, start out as journalists or, um, you know, at politics adjacent. Um, so I, you know, have a master's in journalism from Syracuse University. I, you know, thought I was going to be a, a print news reporter, which um, the joke's probably on me about that. I, I worked very briefly for the Sacramento Bee, um, which is where I ended up back in Sacramento. And when that fell through during a round of um, layoffs, I looked quickly for a job and ended up doing um, some labor side communication work. Um, did that for seven or eight years for um, 
SCAU and the California Faculty Association and mm. some other um, political groups. And from there, um, did some campaign work for Governor Brown, among others. And that's where I hooked up with, with his, his team. Mm-hmm. Um, spent three years as an appointee at the Department of General Services, um, doing really the, the the important, I would call it the dirty jobs of state government, which is the the um, work that goes unseen that makes everyday life worth po- worth living and possible here in state government, yeah, procurement yeah. and contracting and fleet acquisition and architecture and engineering, real estate. Um, it really got a good grounding in all that is state government <laughs> there um, in all the depths of the bureaucracy. And I think oh, that, that yeah. put me in a position to succeed. There shout out go. to my DGS people. Oh yeah, there you go. Shout out. Got to give those shout outs because they have helped you succeed. You know, these folks that you work with uh, who have mentored you as you've come uh, come along in your career. What do you see as one of your top you know, professional accomplishments at this point, looking back on it so far? I, I think the climate work under Governor Brown was mm. was really essential. As as a dad of three kids under five, I, mm. you know, you can't help but look at the future and the world that we're going to leave to our children and, you know, passing significant legislation um, to, to clean our air and clean our water was something that was, you know, really felt good to me and mm-hmm. was hard at the time to, to get those votes through. But um, hopefully we're, we're leaving our, our earth in a better place than where we started. And that's something that I'm really happy that we did. Someone who has been as successful as you throughout the years, um, anyone who's successful has has done something that they wish they had done differently. Either they made a mistake and, and learned from it, or you know, in hindsight, they think, oh, I could have done that a different way, which may have resulted in some, you know, better results. Is there something looking back that, that you see that maybe you either should have done differently or maybe you made a mistake that you learned from? Yeah. And I don't know if it's one specific mistake, but I think, you know, looking back, something that I appreciate now, um, and I wish I knew as, as a younger professional, which was to be okay with not knowing things, Mm. um, and asking experts and asking good questions. I think too often, um, in, in our work lives, we try to say that we actually know the answer when sometimes the best results you're going to get is when you actually ask questions and well, that may seem like dumb questions at the time, but it, it gets you to a better outcome. And, you know, especially as I learn about this new emergency services world, I, I, I want to be open-minded about what I don't know. And sometimes that can open up new pathways to success. Um, to say, hey, tell me about that. Tell me, explain how this works. Explain why that works. Uh, why do you do it that way? Could it be done better? Um, I think that it kind of opens the mind to new possibilities when you approach things in that in that manner. It does. And I can tell you, I've seen that. I've seen you do that. I've seen you come into the morning meetings and say, uh, explain to me this scenario and how, how is this going to affect us? And, and I think that does say a lot to any leader who comes into a room, into a new organization, a new agency, and says, listen, I, I, I'm a smart guy, but I don't know everything. Tell me what I need to know and uh, enlighten me. And I, and I think that's really important. Obviously, the lesson for you in this point has been just to step, step back, accept the fact that you don't know everything, and really just allow yourself to learn as opposed to trying to pretend like you know everything. And then you're, that closes you off. You, you won't learn as much as you could. I think that's a, great, that's, a, that's a great lesson. In terms of crises, when you've had a, a professional or personal crisis, what has helped you? What has helped you get through that crisis? Is it meditation? Is it an app? Is it uh, 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 
a work ethic that you learned along the way? What gets you through those moments? I think people of relationships are so important and being able to have people you trust, people you can say, why did that happen that way? How could we be better? Um, what did we miss there? Was there something in that meeting we could have done differently? Um, you know, having trusted advisors and, and, and people you're willing to listen to and talk through problems. Um, I'm certainly an extrovert. And so that's a, a, a way that I, I like to function is to talk to people and talk it through. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that that's something during disasters that can come to bear of we'll have a problem. And it's, and I, I've sat in the room with director Gilarducci, chief Pimlot, um, as they tried to solve a problem, like what could we do? How could we get to those people faster? How could we put this fire out? How could we provide aid to those who need it? Um, and talking through, because oftentimes there's wisdom in, in the group that you may not have amongst yourself. And so bringing that to bear, I think is a, is a important thing and, um, kind of gets back to the question we talked about before of working closely with folks and being open to, to new ideas in, in order to find a successful path forward. And when you work in this line of work, as long as you have, uh, in California state government, you get to build that Rolodex and I'm sure you've got a nice thick one and it is going to help you, uh, moving forward. Uh, and like we say, you know, it's better to exchange business cards off the field rather than on the field. Our chat with Brian Ferguson will continue in just a moment. On the way, trust and communication between your agency and the media. You know, unfortunately, we've seen the press corps shrink even just in the last few years, and it's probably going to continue to go that way. So how do you get your agency's message out and hope and believe that it won't be turned against you? There's always the danger of misinformation by both legitimate media and their imposters. Back now to our chat with Brian Ferguson. Uh, so I'm curious, what kind of, uh, I know you said you're an extrovert, and obviously face-to-face -face, uh, communication is good for you, but what tools and technologies do you employ, or do you have a favorite something or other that 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 you would say to me or to someone else, man, you got to try this. It's It's pretty helpful, or it's really great. I think like everyone in this line of work, just constantly being re reading and whatever you choose to do, whether that's on the news sites or on social media, I think all of us who do this work are constantly on social media, mm -hmm. seeing what's happening in the world and swimming around and, and consuming news as if you were a whale shark. Yeah. Um, Stay informed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a variety of, of ways to do that and changing all the time. Um, you know, and it, if you're not up on it, you're, you're going to be behind. And it's important to be a, a consumer as opposed to just a producer and understand the people you're working with, the reporters, what kind of content you're putting out. We now have more access to the, the inner thoughts of reporters than we ever had before because of social media. Um, it helps us understand who we're dealing with and how we can best communicate with them. I want to know your thoughts, your philosophy, if you will, on the current state of communication between the public information officer, and the media. What do you see as being the most important aspect of that relationship? You know, I think we live in a world now where, you know, there, there's seven people who are in the line of work we are for every one journalist that's out in the world. Um, and, you know, there's just a ravenous desire to, to spin or to put a message out. Um, you know, and I think the those one-to-one -one relationships are actually really what makes it come through. Um, reporters' inboxes are just inundated these days with with press releases and pitches and um, 
stories that people want to tell to either further their boss's work or make a dollar. Um, and so really taking the time to get to know the people who, do, who are the journalists. And we are very lucky that we have a lot of the good ones who cover this work. Um, and I think that that's something that that's lost of really that there's five or six people who do communication at all 80 state departments. And there's probably two dozen reporters who cover state government every day. Um, and that's not even getting into all the members of the legislature who have their own communication staff, the lobbyists, the corporations, all those who are trying to influence the narrative that's out there. Um, and it, unless you take the time to actually get to know th these folks a as individuals rather than just vegetables that you push narratives through, um, it's not going to be successful. And, you know, unfortunately, we've seen the press corps shrink even just in the last few years, and it's probably going to continue to go that way. So it's even more important to work closely with with folks and understand what they care about and what they don't um, if you're going to push the message out, especially during times of crisis. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have those relationships, you're not going to get the news where it needs to be. You know what else is changing? And that is the, the identification of the media. Mm -hmm. We used to be able to tell right away who's a legitimate journalist. Now, everybody who's got a phone could theoretically be a journalist. How do you deal with that? As someone in your position who has to manage a group of public information officers mm -hmm. and maybe getting inundated from so-called journalists from around the world, but yet uh, maybe I've never heard of this publication before, or maybe I've never heard of this website before. How do you determine who gets the information and when and and so forth? I mean, the, li the line is certainly graying every yeah. day. Um, in the governor's office, certainly we had our, our usual suspects, but we would get outlets from Australia and Austria and Germany and then bloggers and online publications. Um, and certainly it, it, you know, having those relationships, talking to folks is important to understand who's legit and who isn't. Um, but you also have to be careful. There's a lot of people out there who, um, you know, are, portray themselves as journalists because the dearth of folks actually cover it and, and people jump to want to try to communicate with them. And, um, you know, particularly the way the, the online world is changing. Um, I think there is, there is a real danger with people putting out information that's not accurate, mm -hmm. uh, whether people pretending to be reporters or the changing of, of being able to have fake videos where you put someone's face on it and you can, not nearly tell and certainly right. what we've seen with cyber and all the other threats we face it's it, it's a new world and is actually something at cal oes that is going to impact us from from a security end of things that we're going to have to think about um but you know obviously you know a good google search can get you most of what you need to know and mm -hmm. if you can't find someone that tells you a lot it does it certainly um, if does you can't, if they don't have a twitter profile if they don't have you know, articles you could find and, and folks are out there. It's something that we need to be aware of. And at the same time, there's a lot of up and coming publications that may not be the San Francisco Chronicle or New York Times that, you know, do have reach and do do good reporting. Mm -hmm. And so I think being open-minded about the folks who do that, but also being thoughtful of making sure they, they do have the, the right credentials. There you go. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, I noticed you got a phone on one of those so-called smartphones you got to be a music guy, right? You got to listen to some music. Sure, yeah. I, I love music. Tell me about uh, your playlist. You've got to have a playlist on there, or or at least a, a streaming app of some kind. Yeah, you know, I I, I use Spotify like a lot of people, and <laughs> yeah. um, I think you know, I folks be you know for your amusement, my end of the year playlist where it's the songs that you listen to the most throughout the year. Yeah, you could tell that I'm I'm a dad because it was like 
seven Moana songs and uh, <laughs> the, the Baby Shark song. And, oh, um, no, really? So, you yeah. know, don't take those for my personal, but that's no, what, no. Uh, that's what uh, these, the Spotify believes to be my preferences. These are the, these are the sacrifices that parents make. They, they must listen to the Wiggles. The Wiggles yes. was my generation with my daughter. So it was the Wiggles, it was Dora the Explorer, you know, it was all that. I have to admit, and I'm going to admit this right now in front of you and everybody who's listening, I kind of like the Wiggles. I kind of liked them. I did. There I was tell a certain, that about you. <laughs> there was a there was a certain uh, innocence and a certain hilarity about them. Um, all I know is my daughter loved them, and she had a blast. We went and saw them live, and she ran up to the front of the stage. It was it was hilarious. It was really it was fun. I'll admit. So, uh, but if you had to uh, put on a playlist now or put on a who's your favorite band right now? I, you know, I, I don't get to keep up on it like I like I'd probably like, but I think I'm you know a a, a '90s rock mm-hmm. and alternative person from okay. when I was younger, and Pearl Jam's definitely my all time oh, yeah. favorite band. See, there so. you go, perfect, love it. All right, well, is there anything else you'd like to tell folks about uh, who Brian Ferguson is? <laughs> I think we hit we hit the hits there. We did, we hit the hits. Well, you're going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame very soon. All right. Well, again, with us is Brian Ferguson, who is the new Deputy Director of Crisis Communications and Media Relations here at Cal OES. And uh, we're happy to have him here. He's a familiar face and will become even more familiar to all of us here. All right. My thanks to our new Deputy Director of Communications, Brian Ferguson. And thanks to you as well for coming back to listen to our little show here, All Hazards. We certainly do appreciate it. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to All Hazards. Of course, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or ideas or some comments for us, we want to hear them. Send me an email to questions at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here in the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.